your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 13, I would like to look with you at the life of Jonathan, both this morning and this evening. We'll continue tonight, Lord willing. Everybody's familiar with King David, and the stories connected with his life are so exciting, David and Goliath and so on. But as I was studying the life of David one day, my attention uh, was drawn to Jonathan, the son of King Saul, David's friend. And as I began to look at the life of Jonathan and, and his interactions with David, it seemed to me that Jonathan was a picture of the Holy Spirit. Now, you'll, you'll see that with me as I go through it. Jonathan was a type of the Holy Spirit. David was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that. But Jonathan was the one that made it his mission in life to make David king. And that's the mission of the Holy Spirit, to make the Lord Jesus Christ king of our lives. And he goes about it in many different ways. As we ultimate goal is to make Jesus Christ King and Lord of our lives. And we'll see that as we, as we look through this passage, these passages. Praise God. Now I've got to find it myself. Okay, here we go. Now, you'll, it's interesting to me that we're celebrating 88 years of the church here. Congratulations. Uh, I was here at the 50th anniversary. That was interesting. I just got here in October, and then by May, they were celebrating 50 years of anniversary. And so I got in at a good time. And I remember this platform had 18 ministers on this platform. They had all come down to celebrate with us, ministers who had uh, ministered here in the past, others who had a real interest in the work. And I remember this whole platform was lined with ministers, men and women. And I marveled at how different each one was from the other. They all had their own style of preaching. Some were quiet, some were loud, some were demonstrative, and so on. But they all pointed us to Jesus in every one of their talks. It was all, they were all taken up with Christ. And I, I just, it was such a revelation to me uh, that God has such a variety within his kingdom and among his people. And yet Jesus is the center of it all. Praise God. And so... You're celebrating 88 years, so when I was home, I looked at Psalm 88. And then I spoke to Brother Mike, and he said, yeah, we're celebrating 88 years. But then I looked at Psalm 89, and I like that one better, because <laughs> that went along with my talk. And actually, you're beginning your 89th year, right? You've completed 88 years, and now you're beginning 89. And so... Look at Psalm 89 once in a while and you'll see that's where it talks about establishing David as king and establishing his eternal kingdom, which of course was fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I got my confirmation. I said, Lord, you told me to preach on Jonathan and uh, establishing the kingdom of David. And now the 89th Psalm just uh, underscores that and points us to Jesus Christ, praise God. Now here it tells us that uh, Saul, 
had reigned one year. This is, uh, this is uh, 1 Samuel 13, chapter 13, verse 1. It says here, excuse me. Saul reigned one year, and when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were in, with Saul in Michmanjimim, in the Mount Bethel, and a thousand were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. And Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba. And the Philistines heard of it, and Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. Here's one of the first mentions of Jonathan in the Bible. He was the son of King Saul, he was prince, and uh, at this time, the Jewish people were oppressed by the Philistines. Uh, they, they would raid them at times, and they just made life miserable for them. And Jonathan, he didn't like that. He didn't accept that. He didn't want to stay uh, oppressed and bound by the enemies. And so he decided to initiate a conflict. And here we read how Jonathan attacked a Philistine garrison, and the Lord gave him victory. And it says that uh, the Philistines heard that these Jews were attacking them, and so they began to muster their forces from all over. And when Saul heard that the Philistines were uh, getting ready uh, to uh, repay, uh, he began to call his people to that. Uh, but it tells us that the Philistines, they're, they're, they had so many people that uh, you couldn't number them. 30,000 chariots and, and so on. And when the Jews had gathered and saw all these Philistines uh, coming together, they began to hide. And they began to uh, just flee. And Saul began to see his armies depleting as the Philistine army was growing. And, of course, that troubled him greatly, and uh, he sought God's blessing, and he didn't go about that the right way, but this talk isn't about Saul, it's about Jonathan. And, um, and so Saul ended up with very few men, and, uh, and the Philistines greatly outnumbered them. But then when we read in chapter 14, it says, it came to pass upon a day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man that bare his armor, come. Let us go up to the Philistines' garrison that is on the other side. But he didn't tell his father. And then the sixth verse, Jonathan said to the young man that bare his armor, Come, let us go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. And his armor bearer said unto him, Do all that is in thine heart. I said, Turn thee, behold, I am with thee according to thy heart. Then said Jonathan, behold, we will pass over unto these men, and we will discover ourselves unto them. Here again, we see Jonathan initiating the battle, initiating the attack. And he had this faith that it doesn't matter how many Philistines are against us. With God, it doesn't matter if we're on God's side and he's on our side. We have the victory. We can be sure of that. And so he said, just me and you, let's, let's show uh, the Philistines that we're here. And then he came up with a plan. 
If they say, hey, stay there, we're going to come down to you, uh, we'll stay put. He said, but if they say, come over here, then we know that the Lord has given us the victory. And that's exactly what they did. When they saw Jonathan and his armor bearer, they said, oh, look, the Jews have come out of hiding. And, uh, and then they said, come on over here, we'll show you a thing or two. And Jonathan knew that that was, that was the signal from the Lord, that he had given them the victory. And Jonathan and his armor bearer crawled up those rocks, and they met that garrison of Philistines, and he began to hack them down, and he knocked them down, and his armor bearer slew them behind, and they killed about 20 of them. And uh, then it says that God sent a great earthquake. You know, we heard that when you move and when you uh, take steps of obedience, God will meet you. And that's exactly what happened when Jonathan and his armor bearer did what the Lord had put on his heart and they engaged in the battle. Then God began to fight for them and caused such confusion that the Philistines began to fight against one another and flee for their lives. And then Saul and his men were able to go after them and win a great victory that day. But it was all initiated by Jonathan. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit does. He brings conviction into our lives. He says, listen, you don't have to stay the way you are. You don't have to stay oppressed by the enemy. You don't have to be enslaved by those evil habits. Your life doesn't have to be miserable as it is. But God wants to make you discontent with that condition. He wants there to be a stirring in your soul. He wants you to uh, turn away from your sin and reach out for something better. And that's what we call conviction. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. He will uh, make us to see our condition, that we're enslaved, that we can't free ourselves. And then he will begin to stir us, to turn to God and to reach out for something more. You know, we often pray for our young people. We say, Lord, send conviction among our young people. Let them become discontent with their lives. Let them be disappointed in what the world offers to them. Because the world has nothing. Oh, it makes great claims, but as, uh, as they pursue these things, it always ends in disappointment. And we pray, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, get their eyes off the world. Don't let the world, let the world lose its attraction. Let them see the world for what it really is. And let them become discontent, living in the world, living for the world. Make them to know you have something better for them, Lord. Let there be a stirring of the Holy Ghost in their souls. And that's not just for young people, but older people need that as well. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not happy with your life. Maybe you feel oppressed. Maybe there's bondages that you can't break, habits that you can't free yourself from. Well, the Holy Ghost wants to stir you and make you to do something and reach out to God, to know that you don't have to be as you are. And so the Holy Ghost initiates that conflict. Hallelujah, that battle within us. Praise God. It says that the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh, and the two are contrary to one another. Hallelujah. Praise God. And then we go on and we, we read in uh, 1 Samuel 17, it says after they won that victory that the Philistines uh, continued to oppress them uh, to some degree. 
And there were a number of battles that we read about in 1 Samuel against the Philistines. Praise God. And that wonderful story of David and Goliath. I was walking down the street of Canarsie the other day, and, and I like to talk to people when I see them, and they don't always respond the way I expect, but uh, I saw a young lady, and she had a, a T-shirt on, and uh, it had this verse on it uh, from 1 Samuel 17. And I said, what is that verse? And she said, I have no idea. <laughs> and I said, I think that's the story of David and Goliath. And I went home and I read it. I think it was uh, verse 46. This day the Lord will deliver thee into my hand, and I will smite thee and take thy head from thee. Praise God. Well, um, if I would have read it before, I would have been free to meet her. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, here we read that, uh, that this champion Goliath uh, stood before the armies of the Jewish people, the Israelites, and he challenged them for 40 days, morning and night. He challenged them, give me someone to fight with me. And uh, it says the people trembled. They couldn't find anybody that would volunteer to fight against this Philistine. And he said, if I win, then you serve us. And if you win, then we'll serve you. And then David was sent to visit his brothers who were in the army then some of his brothers to bring them some supplies. And just at that moment, Goliath came out and uh, began to challenge them. And uh, David, something rose up in David. He said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that's defying the armies of the living God? Who does he think he is? Doesn't he know who he's talking to? And so he said, I'll fight him. He went to King Saul and he said, I'll fight that Philistine. He said, what are you kidding? You're just a boy. He's been a warrior since he's been a boy. And uh, he said, well, when I took care of my father's sheep, a lion came one time, and a bear came to take the sheep, and I went after them, and the Lord gave me the victory over the lion and the bear, and he'll give me the victory over that uncircumcised Philistine. I come in the name of the Lord. And so Saul gave him his armor, and David tried to put that armor on, and he took two steps, and it moved once. And he, you know, and he said, I can't use this. You know, there are a lot of people that like to try to put their armor on you. If you're going to kill a giant, this is the way we've always killed giants. This is the way you kill a giant. You've got to do it this way. We got a lot of that growing up in the industry. People expected you to act the way the previous pastor acted or the way we've always done it. And uh, so you tried it. didn't work. And then you take out your guitar. Well, in Ridgewood, they play trumpets and violins, and, and, but when I was a kid, I wanted to be a rock star, so I, I learned the guitar. But that was my sling. I was comfortable with the guitar. I tried to play my clarinet. Brother Edwin called that an agony pipe. Uh, I wonder what he meant by that. You know, you've got to come into your own place in God. You know, my, my background was not insignificant. God was developing me to fill the place he wanted me to fill. And he let me learn the guitar. I play better than some, worse than others, for sure. Uh, but you, God wants to use you the way he made you and uh, the way he equipped you. And uh, we have to find our own place. And David said, well, I'm good with a sling. He took off the armor and he went to the brook and he found five smooth stones and and, uh, oh, he went after Goliath, didn't he? I like it says that he ran toward that giant. And as the giant cursed him by the name of his gods, 
David said, you come to me with your sword and your shield. And he said, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. This day, he's going to give me the victory over you. I'm going to cut off your head, feed your body to the beast of the field. That was a little fresh. <laughs> and then he says he flung that stone and it embedded itself into Goliath's forehead. And he fell flat on his face. And then David took Goliath's sword. Wow. Took his own sword, killed him and cut off his head, and then took his head to King Saul. And here we read in this, uh, in this 17th the chapter at the end, it says here, David took, verse 54, David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem and put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? Abner said, as thy soul liveth, O king, I cannot tell. The king said, inquire thou, whose son the, strap, the stripling is. And as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, whose son art thou, young man? And David answered, I am the son of thy servant Jesse of Bethlehem. And he came, it came to pass when he had made an end of speaking with Saul, that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and, he, and Jonathan loved him to kill his own soul. Jonathan beheld this. He saw David kill Goliath. And then perhaps he was present when, when David stood before his father, holding the head of Goliath in his hand. And Jonathan saw that David did something that no one else was willing to even try. No one else was able to do. And it says, Jonathan's soul was knit to David. Here we see the victory. The victory that we find in Jesus Christ. Jonathan saw a victor standing before him. Someone who they could put their hope in. Someone that could lead them out of the bondage and the oppression that he was uh, uh, fighting against in his own strength. And so Jonathan, uh, his soul was knit to David. You know, I was reading years ago a story of a pastor, Bloomhart. Some of you know that story or may have heard of him. He was a pastor in Germany. I don't remember the exact years. It was like in the 1800s. But uh, Pastor Bloomhart, maybe even earlier than then. I went to Germany some years ago with Brother Eddie Walfogel, and he took me to the grave of Pastor Bloomhart. And uh, you'll understand why that was significant. We're told that in the day very fast of Bloomhart that uh, there was a young woman who was very sick and demonstrating very strange manifestations, and the doctors did everything they could to help her. And uh, she only got worse. And one of the doctors said, this is not a job for the doctor. This is a job for the pastor. He realized there was something spiritual behind it that he couldn't touch with all his medicine. And so they called on Pastor Bloomhart. And when Pastor Bloomhart entered into the room, the enemy that possessed this woman began to rise up. But every time he prayed with her in the name of Jesus, she settled down. And he began to realize that he had a real battle on his hand. These were days in which the church was not necessarily, for the most part, moving in the power of the Holy Ghost. And... Uh, but there were individuals that were reaching out to God, 
and Pastor Bloomhard was one of them. And so he began to visit that woman every day. And the enemy uh, that possessed her began to rise up. And uh, if you read the book, you can hardly believe some of the things that took place. And, uh, but Pastor Bloomhart, he said, he took this Bible and he began to look into the Bible about Jesus and the victory of Calvary. And, and he, he said, I got to the place. Victory, I saw Calvary in such a way that the victory of Jesus became so real to me that when he cried, it is finished, that Jesus had done everything necessary to deliver us from all the power of the enemy and to make us all that God wants us to be. And he became so convinced of it as he prayed, as he studied the scriptures, as he visited this woman day by day, he said, there is, when I consider the victory of Calvary, there is no reason why this woman should remain as she is. There's no reason. Jesus has won the victory. He won a great victory. There's no reason for her to stay bound. And I won't take no for an answer. And he went every day and he prayed. And the enemy tried to scare him and to scare him off and make him discouraged. But he, can, he said, she has to be delivered. Because of Calvary, she has to be healed. And he went and he went. And one day... He said he knew it was the day when God was going to set her free. And he, and he said, in, in the name of Jesus, you're coming out of her. And the enemy spoke through him and said, I could have stayed, but for your persist now, because you insisted on that victory of Calvary, I have to go now. And then he said, go in Jesus' name. And that woman cried out, Jesus is victor. They heard it miles around that town. And she was fully delivered. Jesus is victor. When you go to that area, you see that phrase on plaques. Jesus is victor in German. Jesus is victor. And all the story connected with that. But I read his story. I said, it's true. There's no reason for you to stay bound in your sin when Jesus won a great victory over the enemy. All the work of the enemy. There's no reason for you to stay in your sickness when Jesus has provided healing and has overcome all the work of the enemy on Calvary. His victory is perfect. There's nothing to add to it. His victory is complete. And we don't see that as we should, but we need the Holy Ghost to make that so real to us Amen. that his victory on Calvary covers it all. Amen. And you don't have to stay as you are. Oh, the enemy will put up a fight and maybe changes won't come overnight all the time. But you can keep your eyes on Calvary. Amen. You plead the precious blood of Jesus. You claim the victory that he won. Amen. And the enemy will have to leave. Amen. And Jesus will be glorified. Thank Hallelujah. And God's looking for people that get such a sight of Calvary that they will insist upon that victory in their life. Amen. Hallelujah. And God is finding them among us. Hallelujah. And we're constantly here in this place. I, I know it already. We're constantly pointed to Jesus and Calvary. Calvary covers it all. Hallelujah. There's power in the blood. 
Hallelujah. Don't give up. Keep praying. Keep believing. When things look like they're getting worse, say, there's no reason for me to stay this way because of what Jesus has done. And the Holy Spirit, uh, Jonathan, Jonathan saw the victory in, in David. Hallelujah. And he saw the, that there was hope in David for him and, and for the whole nation. And it says his soul was knit to David. And it, it came into a special bond. There was such an admiration for David that Jonathan, his life began to get all wrapped up in, in David. You know, that's what the Holy Spirit does for us too. First, he shows us that we're bound by sin and we get discontent. We don't want to stay as we are. Jesus know that there's something better for us. And then the Holy Spirit points us to the victory of Jesus, points us to Calvary, and we see that that's where our salvation lies. That when I confess my sin and invite Christ to come in, he takes up the battle for me. He sets me free from my sin and my shame. You know, sin is what you do. Shame is what you are. And God wants to set us free from the power of sin in our life and and then he wants to make a new creature out of us in Christ entirely. And so, but then the Holy Spirit wants you to get such a sight of Jesus that he becomes everything to you. And you get so taken up with him, you start to fall in love with Christ. I said it recently, you know, I got saved in an Assembly of God church out on Long Island, out in, in New York. And... Uh, then I went to Pilgrim Camp as a teenager. I got saved and baptized in the Assembly of God Church, but I fell in love with Jesus Christ at camp. It was a different experience. When you fall in love with Christ, when the Holy Spirit opens your eyes to the wonder of Jesus himself. You know, it was said to us that the first love is the first beginning of the soul to the wonder of Jesus himself. Amen. You know, we talk about that first love in, in Revelation where the Lord's talking to the church at Ephesus. I have somewhat against you. You've lost your first love. And we think sometimes in, 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 chronolog in, in, uh, in terms of chronology, well, when I first got saved, Jesus was so precious to me. That's my first love. And it's not like that anymore. I've lost that. But actually, the first love isn't when you first got saved. First love is a quality of love. The first love is when your soul awakens to the wonder of Jesus himself. Not what he can do for you, but just to have him. And so, many of us have been serving God for many years, and we've never even come into the first love yet, much less left it. But God wants to open our eyes. We don't just see Jesus as our Savior, the one that can deliver us, the one that can bless us, but we get taken up with Jesus himself and just having fellowship with him. What an honor, what a privilege to just have him in my life. Nothing satisfies but Jesus and his presence filling my heart, walking with him, knowing that I belong to him and he belongs to me. Praise God. And the Holy Ghost wants to do that for you. In a way, you ought to pray that way. Spirit, open my eyes and make me see Jesus in a way that I've never seen him before. Make him to mean everything to me.
Hallelujah. It'll affect the way you worship. You won't worship God just when you like the song. You won't worship God just when he gave you a special blessing or answered your prayer. But you'll begin to worship him for who he is. And you'll get a sight of him. And you'll just forget about yourself. And you'll be all taken up with Christ. Years ago, I looked at the book, Purpose Driven Life. The first line of that book is, it's not about you. That's all I remember about the book. <laughs> no, there's, it was a good book. It's not about you. Oh, we, when we get to the place in life where we see life is not about us. It's not about what I want for myself and pursuing my own desires, but it's living for the glory of God. It's doing what God has placed me in this world to do. It's living to please him every day of my life. That's what life is all about. It's not about you. It's all about him. And we waste so much time pursuing what we want and trying to make life go the way we want it to go instead of just turning it over to him completely and saying, Lord, you put me here for a love. Fulfill your purpose in my life. Hallelujah. Praise God. The first love, the awakening of the soul to the wonder of Jesus himself. Brother Hans Walfogel said, prayer is a Holy Ghost love affair. When you fall in love with Jesus, you want to pray. You want to spend time in his presence. And it's not just asking, but it's worship. It's enjoying him. It's getting filled with more and more of him. And then the last thing I want to mention is in, in the same chapter, 18, verses 3 and 4, it says, Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle, the belt that he wrapped around himself. There was an exchange. We talk about the exchanged life when it's no longer us, but it's Christ. This is very significant what Jonathan did. Jonathan took off his royal robes and, and he gave them to David. And what he was saying is, I'm appointed to be the next king of Israel, but I see God has chosen you. And I step aside and I let you fill that place. I give up my throne. I surrender it to you. Jonathan saw that God's hand was upon David. He, he knew that God had rejected his father Saul because of his disobedience. And he had chosen a man after his own heart that would do all his will. And now Jonathan recognized that David was God's choice. And he was willing to step aside and let David reign instead of him. Saul got very angry with Jonathan uh, as he began to see Jonathan befriending David and defending David and, and uh, making a way for him. And he said, you foolish son, don't you realize that he's going to take your throne? Well, Jonathan knew that. Jonathan had surrendered it. Jonathan's whole purpose in life was to establish David as king. And as we mentioned a number of times already, the Holy Ghost spoke one time and said, the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
The purpose of the baptism is not to get you to speak in tongues, is not to give you power to do miracles. Uh, that may come. But really, what the Holy Ghost is after when he baptizes you in the Holy Spirit is to make Jesus Christ king of your life. That's his goal. And we want his goal to be our goal as well. You know, when you line yourself up with God's purposes, that's when you see things happening. Saul fought against the Lord, didn't he, uh, in the New Testament. And the Lord said, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. But when he lined himself up with God's purpose, and he began to glorify Jesus Christ, then his whole life changed, and the world as a result. And so the baptism of the Holy Ghost is to make Jesus Christ king. And here we see Jonathan, he gave up his throne for David. He said, David, you, you're, you take the throne. The Holy Spirit wants us to be able to so surrender ourselves to Jesus that we say, Lord, you take the throne of my life. Yes. Lord, get me off the throne. And Lord, you take possession. You take control. In every area of my life, you get your will done. We talk about the kingdom of God coming. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We're not just talking about something happening on earth, but we're talking about something happening in our hearts. That's where the kingdom of God begins. That's how God comes through his people. And God's looking for people that will step aside and surrender themselves so completely to Jesus Christ that he will be king of their lives. Not just in some areas of our life, but Lord, every area of my life, Lord, I want you to take control. I want you to have your way in my thought life, in the way I relate to other people, in my private life, in my personal life, Lord, in my prayer life, in, in, in ways of obedience, Lord, have your way. And we make that our pursuit. That's what we live for. Every day we wake up in the morning and we say, Lord, I'm yours. And Lord, you are king of my life. And Lord, I want you to have your way today. Show me how to yield myself to the Holy Spirit's working so that Jesus will really be king of my life. Praise God. And so that's the thing I want to leave with you this morning. The exchange life. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Praise God. Hallelujah. May God. Oh, we, Jesus wants to be king of our life, and that can't happen without the working of the Holy Spirit. But everything that the Holy Spirit is doing in our life is, is for that purpose. He wants to get you out of your life of sin. He wants to do something new in each and every one of us. And then he wants to give us a sight of Jesus and see the victory that Jesus won in every area of our life. Jesus has won victory for us. And then he wants to make you fall in love with Christ. Oh, hallelujah. Where you see Jesus in a way that you've never seen him before and you forget about yourself and your own pursuits and it's all about him. And then Jesus wants, the Holy Ghost wants to get us into a place where we say, Jesus has surrendered. Lord, get me off the throne of my heart. And Lord, you take the throne. You take possession. Bring me under your control, Lord. And let everything in my life bring glory to my Lord and Savior who gave himself for me and continues to give himself 
over and over again. Oh, praise God. Hallelujah. I trust that there's a stirring this morning. I said, Lord, as I prayed this morning, I said, Lord, if you don't anoint, and if the Holy Ghost doesn't move, it's just going to be words. Words in a book that does nothing for us. But, oh, if we could open our hearts to the Lord and say, Lord, I want to know you like this. I want to experience you like this, Lord. I want you to be all and all to me, Lord Jesus. You'll find that the Holy Ghost has already been working along those lines. And he wants to give us added help today. He wants to bring us into a place of so complete surrender that Jesus Christ will manifest his authority over all those enemies in our life and subdue them and reign in their place. Praise God. I'm so glad this morning that we can come to him like that. Hallelujah. And we can give ourselves fully to the one who gave himself fully to us.